So Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Last week we looked at the first four verses and we talked about Luke the man and how he went through to investigate everything to make this gospel and that God called Luke uh, to be a gospel writer even though he was not an apostle. Luke is not an original apostle and then Luke wrote most of the New Testament and so it's pretty interesting. Just, that was kind of the big takeaway was remember that is that is that the Lord called this man to do this thing. And don't you think that Luke said, hey, isn't there someone more qualified, right? Because at this time, Mark's gospel had been written. Don't you think that Luke would have said, hey, I hear Matthew's writing the gospel right now. He is much more qualified. Matthew was an apostle. Like, he was there. Don't you think? And, and don't you think Luke would have said, I heard John speaking about writing one uh, here pretty soon. Don't, don't you think he's way more qualified than I am. I never even saw Jesus face to face. And God says, yes, there is always someone more qualified that I didn't call him. Right? And, and, and the, Lord, the Lord said to Luke, said, brother, I called you to do it. And Luke left and walked away from his career as a, as a uh, doctor, very respected, extremely educated to pursue the Lord's work. Right? Um, and so that was kind of our big takeaway. Is, Man, there's always someone more qualified. But God didn't call that guy. He called you. Right? Uh, and so pick it up in verse 5. What we're going to look at today is, as I'm looking at my little titles here, the beginning of verse 5, it says, The birth of John the Baptist foretold. And then the beginning of verse 26, it says, The birth of Jesus foretold. And Luke presents these uh, these two stories, and they, they're, they're very, very similar, but they both have extremely different outcomes. So let's read, I'm going to read through the whole thing one time. Just read along with me. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division. You may underline that name. It'll be important today. Of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, I probably underline that one too. She's important to remember. Was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God observing all the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel, he will bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? 
I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Verse 26. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel. I want you to look at all the comparisons here. And there's one thing that is drastically God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, and you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. And so I want to point out a couple similarities here. And then I want to walk through this and point out a couple other things. Uh, one, you see in both of these stories that Luke records, uh, both of these people, you've got Zechariah and you've got Mary. Uh, both of them are visited by an angel, not just any angel, but the angel Gabriel. Um, when they see Gabriel, what's their response both times? They're afraid, right? Almost any time in Scripture people see an angel, almost every time, what's, what's the first thing the angel says? Do not be afraid, right? And so angels are kind of these weird things that, that we... It's not a naked baby with wings, right? It's this being that when, when we come face to face with an angel, do you know what, what we're going to do? We're going to be terrified. Like, we're going to be absolutely terrified. Uh, there was years ago when I was at Colonial Hills, they were doing the Christmas pageant, and uh, I was voluntold that I was going to be the angel uh, for one of the end parts. And so it was at the end, and it's pretty cool because I'd be up in the baptistry and I had a big white rope, and they have these big wings, 
And they're like, oh, hey, you get to sing a song, too. And I was like, okay, cool. And so I was, <laughs> I was volunteered for all this. I was like, okay, I'll do it. And so, um, and I was kind of joking, but kind of not joking. I was like, can I have a sword? Like, can I have a gigantic killer sword? And they're like, what? And I was like, and, and can it be covered in blood? And like, can it, can, like, like my image was like, I want, when that thing opens up, I want children to scream. Like, I want <laughs> mothers covering the eyes of their babies because they're like, oh my gosh. Um, and uh, everyone at the staff meeting was like, uh, no. And, 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 and please don't listen. That's a biblical angel, guys. Is that when, when God in his glory is revealed, an angel shows you a glimpse of God's glory, it is terrifying because we fall so short. Right? And so anyway, this happens in both pictures. Uh, in both stories, the Holy Spirit is referenced. In both stories, the promise, the birth of the Son. Uh, please notice, in both stories, neither one of these women were fit to have a child. Do you see the similarities here? Uh, Elizabeth was just as unlikely as Mary to have a child. It shouldn't happen. It is a miraculous birth. John the Baptist's birth was miraculous. Uh, and then both of them respond with, hey, how is this going to happen? Okay, uh, so start in uh, verse 5 here. Let's walk through this thing. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Look at this. Please don't miss it. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. What's the next word? But they had no children. Right? And so in Old Testament theology, not having children was a sign of God's curse upon them. Okay? So they were righteous and at the same time they were childless. Don't, don't you think that Zechariah ever went to Elizabeth and said, Hey, if we're righteous, why don't, why don't we have God's blessing? Don't you think they ever did that? Don't you think he ever went to them and said, Hey, we, we kept all God's commands, wives. Why do I have a son? Don't you think they struggle with that? And the reason I say this is because we have the tendency to associate God's approval with what we call a blessing. Please don't miss this. We have a tendency to associate God approving of us with his blessing. That's a very common teaching. That's not an old heresy we've left in the past. That's a very common teaching today, and it is 100% unbiblical. Right? Um, and let me, I'll say it this way. If you serve God because of what you get, you do not serve the Lord, but you serve yourself. And that, my friend, is the prosperity gospel. And it is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? But if you pay attention, you will be told that. Especially in our religious culture, we associate God's blessing with, I keep getting a bigger house. We associate God's blessing with I keep having a job that pays me more and more money. And so when, when these decisions come along of, of should I take this promotion with twice as much money, obviously that's what God wants for my family, right? I mean, y'all see this, right? I'm not making this up, right? In our religious culture, we say, man, the Lord's really blessed us. You know, I'm making twice as much money. Who cares that I'm gone twice as long, Right? Who cares if I'm not at home half, half as long as I used to be. But we, in our culture, we associate Lord has accepted me and therefore I am 
blessed by God, as we call it. Um, anyways, keep going. Verse 8, he says, uh, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty. So remember, Zechariah was a priest and they were divided up. And this was when the temple was still running. And so they would take turns. There were thousands of priests. Thousands. And so they would take turns. They would draw by lot and say, Hey, it's your turn to come work at the temple uh, for the next uh, week or so. Okay? Actually, I think it was two weeks out of the year, right? It's like the army reserves, I guess, kind of. So one week a month, two weeks a year or something. And so it was Zacharias. That's what it means. When Zacharias the vision, that was his uh, group of priests, was on duty. He was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by law, like you said, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Okay, so this is a once-in-a-lifetime chance for Zechariah. Okay, he was drawn by lot to come serve at the temple. And then he was selected to be the priest that went in to actually light the incense um, where there was a table of showbread, you know, in the holy place of the tabernacle, at least just not like you know what I'm talking about, right? We talked about this a lot. Uh, whether he lights the candles and lights the incense, he would, he would go in and represent the people. So this was a big deal for Zechariah, once in a lifetime. Verse 11, angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right uh, side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. So remember, not make a baby with wings and a bow and arrow. This is an angel of God. Uh, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He'll be a joy and a delight, to, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Okay, so pause here. Remember, guys. This is the first time people have heard from the Lord in about 400 years. Okay? Because this is in between uh, Malachi, the, the end of Malachi, the last, by, uh, the last book in the Old Testament, is when the Lord promises that the spirit of Elijah will return and prepare the way for the Lord. 400 years of silence. Nothing happens. Well, a lot happens. The people don't hear from God for 400 years. And this is the first time that they hear from God. And Zechariah is there, right? And look what his response is. Uh, uh, look at verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now let's be fair for a second. I mean, that's at least a fair question, right? Like this is an old guy... They've never had kids. His wife is at the point where, hey, we're not going to have kids. I mean, let, let's be honest for a second. Isn't that kind of a fair question? It really is. And then look at the response. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. Never. That's not a good response. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you, to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. And not able to speak until the day this happens. Man, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Why is he making him be silent? He answers right there. Look, because look, look at the words. You did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Okay, so don't miss that when. 
when Zechariah asks the question, hey, how is this going to happen? I'm really old and my wife is really old. Do you, do you see it's a loaded question? Is that, and that behind his question, it's built upon what? Unbelief. Do you see that? Behind his question, because there are, there are good questions. There are times when we should question the Lord, right? Uh, there are times when it's okay, I think, to have doubts. It's okay to question your faith. But we can, we can ask the exact same question, and sometimes it's built on unbelief, and sometimes it's built on belief. Oh, you want an example? Okay, look at Mary, right? Do you see that? Are you starting to see the comparisons here, right? Uh, so verse, uh, tw- verse 32, when the angel speaking to Mary, he says, He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Look at Mary's response. This does not sound familiar. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? Does that not sound almost identical, right, to Zechariah's? What we know about Mary's response, if you read down later, is that she believed. You can read in, uh, uh, look at verse 43. No, 45. This is Elizabeth talking to Mary. It says, blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And so I want to point out these, these two things. Is that one, you've got Zechariah that his question is built on unbelief. And, and when he's questioning on unbelief, and please, please hear this, he's looking for proof that God can be trusted. Right? Mary's question is built on belief. She is a faithful woman. She is seeking understanding. Please hear the difference there. Right? One, unbelief usually seeks proof. And we think if I can just have proof of this thing, then I will have belief. And, and over here, faith seeks understanding. And we seek to understand to greaten our faith. You see the, the difference? Because there's a big difference there, right? And, and over here, faith, we're actually called to seek greater understanding, right? I think sometimes... Um, I think sometimes in our churches, I think people are taught that part of being a Christian means you check your brain at the door, right? That you just kind of show up and that, that sometimes Christians were viewed as, um, as, as sometimes irrational, like not the smartest folks. Um, and guys, please hear me. We are called towards greater understanding. Y'all, y'all know what I mean, right? Like we're called to do it. I have a friend who was years ago, he was an atheist, and I mean like an actual real atheist, not one that just, not a confused person that just says, I'm an atheist, because there's a lot of those out there, but I mean a guy that really, truly did the research and his conclusion was, there is no God and and this guy who was a pretty sharp dude, he, he said to me he said, hey, Russell, if I wanted to discredit a Christian, you want to know what I did? I just went to the Bible, and he said this to me, he said, because Christians don't know the Bible he says Christians on average they don't have they don't have any understanding. And so did you hear what he what he said? He said if I wanted to discredit believers, I would go to the to the very thing that is the, they they claim is the word of God, and most of them on average don't have a clue what's in it. 
Most of them have no clue of who God's word. Most of them have no clue of, of greater understanding. And since then, he's become a, a Christian. He's a pastor. And he's a good guy, you know. But please don't miss what he said there. You know, is that we are, we are called towards greater understanding. Uh, flip to First Peter chapter three, real quick. I want to talk about that for a second. So we're talking about Mary. She's a good gal. We like the fact that she responded with questions. Man, questions are good. We like the fact that her questions are based on faith. Uh, her, her questions are based on belief. And we like that she is seeking further understanding. Like she doesn't just sit there and say, okay. You know. Um, there was one time that I was at. It was when I worked at another church. We had gone to like this little daytime retreat type thing. All the staff went. And part of this retreat thing was they had us get in pairs and we filled out a questionnaire thing and we talked to each other and stuff like that. Um, and then we went and shared our answers. Um, and the guy I was talking with, I'm not gonna tell you who it was or anything, but we were going down our questions. Hey, what do you say about this? Oh, what do you say about this? And it got to one, and this is a guy that's in full-time ministry. It got to one that said, hey, what, if someone were to ask you, hey, what's the gospel, what do you say? And his answer was, and please listen, this sounds super spiritual. His answer was, he literally had written the word grace. And I was like, I was like, bro, that, that's not even a sentence. Like, that's not even a completed thought. You know, like, like as believers, we're, we, I get frustrated with this. Like, we're, we're called to be able to say, hey, let me at least explain to you why I have this hope in me. You know, and we wonder why Christians are viewed as kind of, well, you know how they're viewed, maybe. <laughs> you know, but like this idea that, that people are, people in the world are wrestling with, with difficulties. And people are lost. And people are broken. And, and people are searching everywhere for the answer. And in, in a world that is constantly more confusing, the church should provide clarity. The church should bring some things into focus, right? And how there's times when, when the Lord will put a person in your life and, and they are seeking answers. They're seeking clarity. We cannot just look at somebody and go, grace. Like, how does that help? Like, that's not even a completed thought. You know, at least turn it into a sentence. You know what I mean? Like, give them something. Or, or even like, hey, let me tell you a story about grace in my life. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's 1 Peter chapter 3. This is what I'm talking about. So this is Peter speaking, 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 15. And some of y'all disagree with me. We can go to many other places. Yeah, this is what Peter says. Verse 15, he says, uh, In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. And then look at this. Always be prepared. To give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Right? That verse has stuck with me for years and years. This is Peter speaking. This is him exhorting a church. This is him exhorting Christians. He's saying, man, always be ready to tell people about the hope that's inside of you. To explain it. To give a reason. Notice it does not say to convince people to believe Jesus. That's not your job. 
He says, but be always be, be prepared to say, hey, let me explain to you about the hope I have in you. Right? And and we're not explaining proof. We're explaining greater understanding of our faith. Right? Uh, if you are looking for proof, proof and faith cannot coexist. Sorry. Absolute unquestionable proof and faith in the Lord cannot coexist if some of y'all are waiting for proof. Because the false thought is if I have proof, then I will have faith. And I'll show you, and I've done this before. This is something you need to be able to do this. I've done this at lunch with people. You need to be able to do what I'm about to do right here. So pay attention. Pay close attention. And, I, and I've done this. I hope you're bored of it. Okay, so if you if you're if you've never done this, you need to have like take notes. Okay, so listen, I have something in my hand. Can you hear it? Yes. Okay. You don't hear it? Yes. Okay. And I'm gonna tell you it's some coins. Right? So so this is the thing. Everybody in the room, look at me. Y'all y'all know me, right? I know everybody knows, correct? Do I have any reason to lie to you about what's in my hand? You know? No, like why would I do that? If Russell looks at you. And I've got, I've got a history of everybody in here. If Russell looked at you and said, hey, trust me. Trust me. I have two quarters in my hand. Do you have any reason to doubt me? No. Uh, would, would you believe me? Now, do you have proof? Do you have proof? No. What do you have? Well, you, you at least have an understanding. What makes that noise? Okay. And you say, yeah, that's not important. You have understanding and you have belief in me. Now, so I would even say that you have faith in what? What I've said about what's in my hand. Right? Now, here's the way. Watch me destroy your faith. In, in five seconds, you will have zero faith. None. Watch. You ready? I'm going to open my hand. What's in my hand? Two quarters. It's exactly what I said was, why is your faith destroyed? Because now you have sight. The, and, and please notice this. The moment I open my hand and show you, do you need my word anymore? No. Do you even need to know me? No. And, and so the easiest way to destroy your faith is, is if the Lord would say, okay, here's proof. So do you see why when Zechariah, out of unbelief, when he says, hey, I need you to show me. I need proof of this. Do you see why the Lord answered pretty partial with him? Yeah. Right? Do you see why when Mary said, Lord, I believe, but help me understand. Do you see how the Lord was so gentle with her? Because although they appear very similar, those are completely different responses. Right? And we are called to be people that remember, guys, this is what the Lord's doing. He's doing this in our lives. And if you're like me, don't pretend like you're not. We pray and we pray and we pray. God, open your hand. God, let me see. God, just let me make sure. And why do you think God says no? He says no because I want, I want you here. I want you trusting my word. Because and it's what I said a minute ago, man. Because where there is proof, there cannot be faith. So please don't believe because we've all been down that trail. If I have proof, then I'll have greater faith. And it doesn't work that way, guys. Whereas we are called to be people that we say, man, Jesus, I believe you. I swear I do. Help me understand. 
Uh, you know the guy in, uh, I think it's Mark chapter 9, you know the guy that goes up to Jesus and says, I believe, and then he says what? Help my unbelief. Like, I love I love that, you know? If I was going to get a tattoo, I don't get tattoos because I'm a Christian. Uh, but like, that's one that I want, I want, I thought, like, I, I, I may want to get that tattoo that just says, help my unbelief. Like, Jesus, I believe, help me to further my belief, Lord. Because I want to I want to walk closer with you. I want to be in greater intimacy with you. I want to be able to recognize your voice, you know. I'm tired of looking for, for sight. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, these three remain. He says, faith, hope, and love. And then he says, what? The greatest of these is love. Please hear me, guys. The last thing I'm going to say. Why does he get rid of faith and hope? This is why. Because one day you will not need it anymore. One day your faith and your hope will become what? Sight. So the day is coming when we will set hope aside. We will set faith aside. Amen. Right? Is anyone pray with me? Like, please, dear God, I cannot wait for the day when I won't need faith. Some, you hear that preach all the time. Faith is forever. No, it's not. Well, hope is eternal. No, it's not. One day I won't need hope. One day I won't need faith. Because I will be face to face. And that's why Paul says the greatest of these is love. Because one day faith and hope will pass away. So we're not Roman Catholic. We don't worship Mary. We don't pray to Mary. Uh, Mary is not an intercessor between us and God. You know, but we study this and say, man, look, at, this is a woman who believed the Lord, but still wanted to understand more. Contrasted with Zechariah, who was an impressive dude, by the way. An impressive dude that he didn't believe. Right? Uh, I'm going to pull a fourth jump. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let, me, let me pray. Pray with me. Father, thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for your word. God, thank you. It's, it's just right there. Um, it takes a little effort. It really does. It takes, a, it takes a few minutes. Let's slow down. Let's slow down. Let's study your word. Let's, let's think on it for a minute. Let's not just shout the word grace and run on. Like, let, let's think about this. It does take a minute. But God, thank you that your word, I mean, it's right there. It's just black and white. And I pray that we would be men and women that we would seek out your word, that we would seek out greater understanding for the purpose of uh, and strengthening our faith, Lord. I pray that we'd be men and women that when you're shaking your hand and you say, hey, there's two quarters in my hand, that we would keep our eyes focused on you and that we'd say, God, we trust you. And then we say, I, I am confident that you have two quarters in your hand. I don't know it for sure, but Jesus, my eyes are on you, on you. And I am trusting your word. I pray that we'd be those people. And where we are not, Lord, uh, I pray that we would just repent and that we would just be honest. And maybe we, we're just honest enough to say, God, I just don't believe. I just struggle with this. And that we would call one another and say, hey, help, help me wrestle through this. Like, I'm just frustrated. I have all these questions. And here's the thing too, guys. Any argument you have against God, you can find it in the Scriptures. I swear you can. It's all in there. And the Lord is not afraid of our questions. And so God, I pray we just be honest with one another. That's our prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. Um, 
and thank you for truth and that it doesn't change. Lord, I pray that we be a church that brings clarity into people's lives. The world is a mess. People are so confused. And, and we have to be a place of clarity. And so that's our that's our prayer. Amen.